life can be tricky, making us ask, what was that? Join host Jan Murray and her guests as they explore the that's of life. Welcome to Life After That. everyone i'm jan murray the hostess and i'm glad that you could join us for life after that today we are welcoming janet olszewski i hope i said that right from michigan uh janet lost her husband charles uh back in september of 2020 after uh about a two and a half year battle with als amyotrophic lateral sclerosis they were married for 41 years janet welcome to life after that thank you very much well, I'm so happy that you could come and willing to share your story uh, in, in hopes that we might help others. And it also helps yeah. us to talk about it as well, doesn't it? Yes. Okay. Well, Janet, what can you tell me about uh, your husband before he was diagnosed? You know, what kind of work he did, what kind of health he had, and just give us a little brief summary of your life before ALS entered it. And then we'll go from there. Okay. Well, he, uh, we met when I was 17 years old at high school, and he was the picture of health, never got sick, had high blood pressure, had, you know, I remember we were first married, I said, you need to go to the doctor, you have this, you have that, I just want you checked, high cholesterol, whatever, right. always exercised, um, he went to college for, he became a CPA mm -hmm. and I was a hairdresser and um, two of us had a great life. I could never have envisioned my life. Just wonderful. We had a lot of uh, scary things happen. My daughter was born with hydrocephalus and that was my first child. So that was hard on our marriage, hard, just hard to have a special needs child. Right. But we, we did beautifully. And um, I, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I we spent our money wisely. We saved money. We, we CPAs, they don't waste money. Right. And he was, he decided I, at college pre, you know, ALS, he decided he wanted to get healthy. And I always was a very healthy cook. And um, he exercised up until even the diagnosis of ALS from college on, he would exercise four times a week, never jog, just, you know, treadmill, bike, um, very very adamant about exercise and he smoked cigars here and there. He was a avid golfer, mm -hmm. uh, loved golf. That was his main sport uh, during tax season. Of course, he worked 60 hours, 70 hours a week. He was a partner in a firm. Right. And um, we just had a beautiful life looking forward to retirement. And uh, but we never we always said you know, we're not, we're going to travel. We're going to enjoy life. We're not going to wait till we retire because we might be sick and voila, there, there it happened. And I thank God we, both of us traveled and did what we wanted to do because I have no regrets. You know, I, hear, 
I hear that over and over again with people that I talk to, and it was the same yep. with my husband that they were very healthy. Uh, yep. My my Bill loved to jog. He loved it. Well, he didn't really jog. He ran. He loved to run. Uh, yep. I think in our thirty plus years together, he might have gone to the doctor less than five times, honestly, yep. until until yep. ALS hit. So. In the um, 40 and the 41 years we were married, he maybe lost one day of work, one day of work for sickness. Mm-hmm. And he had an intestinal flu. Yeah. That's it. He would yeah. drag his butt to work. If he had a, a cold, whatever he never, he never believed in like, Oh, people got a cold. Don't let them come over. He didn't care. Germs. No, he was all good with it. it he never, uh, the man was never a big baby. You know, some, some husbands, you know, they're like, never, never. Mm-hmm. He never let anything stop him. Nothing. That was the way my husband was too. He, yeah. uh, he just, you know, he worked no matter what. I think that the time yeah. or the few times he may have missed work, it was because of a migraine headache. Yeah. That, that yeah. would be severe, but yeah, he really didn't have issues either. So, no, so no. So knowing your husband was that healthy and y'all had a very full and busy life. So what started right. happening that started sending up red flags for you guys? Well, he started, um, he did have uh, uh, Reynolds disease. He had, um, which is, I don't know if you know what that is. I it's, do. I actually um, have it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Circulatory and his fingers living in Michigan, he could never snow plow or anything because he his fingers would just get white like a like yep. a dead person and you can lose your fingers really quick yes. too yes and he oh he hated that in the winter to work tax season and he'd come home late at night his fingers would just pure white yep and so he had that he had arthritis in his hip so that was showing up when he was golfing uh 2016 he started complaining about his hip Mm-hmm. And the doctor said, you're bone on bone, you know, and his knees were okay. Um, but he really got to a point where he was in such pain with his hip. And he said, I gotta, I gotta do something, you know, we're, I'm going to have hip replacement. I said, okay, mm-hmm. cool. So we did that in 2000. I think that was Thanksgiving of 2017. Okay. And he, he had his surgery, I think the week before Thanksgiving. And he said, um, and it went textbook, beautiful. Mm-hmm. And he's not a baby. He came home, he was walking the, the house and did great back to work the following week. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And then he started telling me that his, he had numbness on the top of his head. Wow. And, heard that. Yep. Numbness. And maybe that was 2016. That could have been. And he had a little dot of numbness. And I said, well, maybe they did something to you during surgery. Maybe, you know, you're put out, you know. And he said, I I don't know. It feels weird. And so talked to his doctor, regular doctor. Doctor says, well, he said, that's weird. And, And he says, but it's probably nothing. Well, it started increasing the numbness. Hmm. and um it started traveling down the side of his head Hmm. and then sometimes we'd be sitting watching football or whatever tv and then he'd say look at my arm look at it twitching 
look at look at all and he has started having jaw cramps those fasciculations and cramps go hand in hand right mm -hmm. and then i said to him who who the heck has jaw cramps what are you talking about you know yeah. and he just had weird stuff going on and so I said, his doctor recommended he go to a neurologist. Mm -hmm. Well, then, um, so he did and wonderful neurologist. And she said, um, she said, well, we're going to do some tests. Everything came back normal. All the blood tests, beautiful, no problems. Um, they did a couple, you know, I mean, your traditional, you know, but he kept saying, I have numbness. I have numbness. So then um, uh, one neurologist said something to him one day. He was just shocked. And she said, don't be surprised if it's ALS. Wow. And he just was blown away. Of course. Blown away. And he came home and told me, well, then he went back to his regular general practitioner. And the practitioner was kind of mad about it. He says, well, that's a pretty big step to say someone's got ALS over a numb spot on their head. Right. And so then the doctor said, well, we can go to Ann Arbor. You know, we'll, he said, we'll do other avenues if you want to. And Chuck says, nope. He said, we're going to keep with this neurologist. Well, then they moved him on to another neurologist who, um, who did all the tests and she said you have to have this one test i forget what the name of that was was it the you needle know, amg yes you know you yeah. put the electrodes on your yeah. chest or whatever oh yeah and that's what confirmed it but it's so weird because when he and i were just stunned because previous to all this we had been uh sitting at a home I don't know if you, you guys have parade of homes or anything. We do. I guess. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, we were sitting at a parade of homes one time. It was for the ALS foundation mm -hmm. and they have there is to, it, it, you know, introduce people to ALS and stuff. And we had been sitting there as volunteers at this parade of home. And we were reading this pamphlet about ALS. And I, I said to Chuck, well, now this is one disease we never want to get. I said, you promised me you're never going to get this. He says, oh, yeah, I promise. <laughs> oh, and my gosh. Know, that's the first thing he and I looked at each other. He goes, do you remember the parade of homes? We promised each other. <laughs> I said, I, well, when he he got in and so he went to that doctor appointment by himself because I had no idea that was for a diagnosis. He mm. never told me. So he was by himself and the doctor looked at him and he said, you, you have ALS. And I think Chuck just, he just was in complete shock. He got in his car, he got in an accident. He, he just wasn't paying attention. He was in shock mm -hmm. basically. And he ran into this other car. So he had to deal with that. Plus, call me. He called me on the way home. He was coming from Holland, Michigan. And he called me and he said, you're not going to believe this. And we both were just absolutely just devastated, mm -hmm. devastated. Because we had known one other person that had it mm -hmm. in this area. And um, it's just it's a disease straight from hell.
It is. I agree 100% it with is that. Straight from hell. I always say straight from hell. And uh, so basically, and my kids, they knew nothing of what ALS was. They go, what is this? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. We came home. We all bawled. We all, you know, everybody does their, what you have to do. And, um, and then we started the journey and it wasn't fun. No, it was not. None. But I will say he was so tough that it could have been a lot worse. I talked to uh, a friend who had, husband had it and he had it for seven and a half years. I had two and a half of it. And not that it diminishes my experience, but I didn't have, he did not have paralysis. Hmm. He stood up till the day he died. Your husband did that? Yes. Wow. And he had bulbar, which is the fast moving head down. Right. Yeah. And it's head down. So what he suffered with was his speech and swallowing went quite quickly. Um, He was fatigued with talking or swallowing. So I blended everything, you know, thickened. Um, He eventually got a feeding tube Mm -hmm. to keep the weight on. We had no idea what a metabolic, um, you know, highly metabolic disease this was. Right. I mean, I was feeding the guy cream and it, it would have put 500 pounds on me. Well, we have but to do I anything think, to keep their weight up. Exactly. So yeah. I was just making the most fattening meals, which goes against my whole you know, <laughs> way of cooking. You know, I'm like, good Lord, you know, I could just I, I can't believe what I was giving them. But we did two years of blending and. And then mainly his eyes were very affected. He almost had a uh, a eyeball removed. Oh, wow. It was so severe. And he would always say when he was working, he retired in 2019. Mm -hmm. And of October, October 31 of 2019, he couldn't take it anymore. He was dragging his butt to the office. And I said, Chuck, you you just need to stop. I Mm -hmm. said, we can't, you know, we don't, uh, we were lucky. We had a good insurance. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was worried we'd lose all our money. Uh, He was too, because it's the highest, um, you know, extremely expensive uh, disease. Yes, ma'am. And I I just thought, oh my God, we're going to lose everything we've ever worked for, you know, but it didn't happen. Thank God we had good people working for us, our insurance guy. Um, We had the means to, you know, he had disability through his work. He had, you know, we were just darn lucky, just lucky. And um, so uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. So his eyes were super affected mm-hmm. and one eye got an ulcer. Oh, wow. I, I just started noticing his eyes and they said, you need to cover his patch his eye. I patched the one eye and then finally they sewed it shut. That was the growth thing. Wow. They sewed it partially shut 
And then the guy, the ophthalmologist, he finally said, this was like maybe um, two months before he died. He says, Chuck, I have to sew you completely shut right now because I don't want to have to remove your eyeball. I've and never heard. I've never heard this part of ALS and I've heard so much yep. and my husband's eyes were very affected as well. Of course, ALS patients generally don't blink much. So their eyes dry right. out. My, my husband had a uh, little micro ulcers all over his eyes and they taught me how to scrape them. It made me sick on my stomach. Oh my gosh. Really? Yeah. yeah. But they never, he, and he never could use the eye gaze because of that. And his astigmatism right. was so bad and he developed cataracts, but I have never heard in yes. all the cases that I've looked at, I've never heard of someone almost yep. losing their eyeballs and having their eyes. Oh my goodness. It so was, it has one eye in particular. And then it was the other eye was okay, mm -hmm. but it would got, it would, the doctor said, I would have to remove this eye so that your other one wouldn't get affected. And he was a very renowned, he was a eyelid surgeon uh -huh. and he uh -huh. said he he sh literally sewed i watched him sew his eye shut oh my gosh it, it was the saddest thing i've ever and he was a reader oh. he was he was uh, loved his computer you know we bought him an ipad um when he had you know i thought okay an ipad might be easier and then mary freebed who is they're really fantastic in town and they are, they're a rehab place. And they said, oh, you could, he can have a special program that he, he could just touch very lightly with his finger, blah, blah, blah. Well, he didn't want to do any of it. He said he was against the eye gaze. He didn't want to do bank his voice. He didn't want to do any of that. He wow. said, no, no. And I let him, I let him lead the way because it was his body, his, Yeah. he said, nope, nope. He said, I won't, I don't want to do any of it. Nope. Well, voice banking was very new in when my husband was yep. diagnosed in 2010. And, and it was too late. By the time we heard about it, his voice was right. already going away. And right. I wish he had, because I can't remember his voice. Yeah, had, we have films on our phones of him. Thank the Lord, I have films of him. So if it, I remember his voice and we have it, you know. But yeah, and I even have a, a recording of his voice to his sister, you know, saying uh, he was still doing taxes and stuff, you know, so, but he really, he was not a baby with the whole thing, but he could stand up and I attribute that because he was going head down. Mm -hmm. so I attribute his strength in his legs because he worked out all the time. Mm -hmm. But they did warn him. They said, when you, if you feel weak after you work out, don't do it because right. you're not replacing your muscles. Your body is using the muscles and mm -hmm. you're not replacing them. So that made sense. Right. It does. But he, um, that's my worst thing was his jaw dropped open hmm. and he had no control uh, you know, he'd have to literally take his hand and shove his jaw back into place. That was gross. That, yeah. that to me, the eyes, the jaw, um, the mucus, mm, you know, that's, and, that's rough. 
that was bad. The cough assist we did a couple times. He didn't have too much problem coughing. He was a trumpeter. He was in a rock band mm-hmm. for most of a lot of our married life. And he was a trumpeter. So he had good. It, it was amazing to me that he would even have problems breathing because he was he was all about he was a trumpeter. Mm-hmm. He was exquisite. He was a great musician, you know. Well, and he had great lungs, but that diaphragm, the ALS goes after your diaphragm. Oh, correct. So. Yes. But I'll never forget the first day they brought in that trilogy. And every every step that entered this house, I thought, okay, here's another machine. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Okay, now what does this one do? And, you know, I was you you come so close to freaking out (laughs) yeah yeah for sure you know you're 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 like uh, and then this guy I I was so angry at this company that he came and showed us how to do the trilogy and it was in our bedroom you know and I was like and he said he and we knew nothing about what we were gonna embark on you know you're just you don't you're a baby you're just a baby with the whole thing Mm-hmm. And he says, <laughs> he says, oh, this is, um, this machine will be your lifeline and you'll probably be on it more than you'll be off of it. Mm-hmm. He actually said that to us mm-hmm. and that wasn't the case at all. This guy, and then I called the company and I complained. I said, you know, this guy had no right to tell me. I told our neurologist about it and she was very angry. Mm-hmm. She goes, ALS goes a different path for everybody. It does. And as it turned out, he was not on the trilogy only to sleep. That was how my husband was. We used it just for sleep. Absolutely. He didn't want it during the day. It was his nap and nighttime. That was it. And then of course there are some who do. I mean, like uh, the person I spoke with on the last episode Uh, you know, her, her pals had to be on it all the time. Yep. All the time. And and I, I kind of expected that because this guy told me, I'm like, so, you know, this, I I was making jokes with him. I said, Oh, I always wanted one of these in my bedroom. You know, we, we cracked (laughs) a lot of jokes. I go, Oh my gosh. I'm going to, I stuck crap on it. You know, we always joked him and I, and, you have to laugh or you'll cry. And if you, you listen know, to my you, podcast, you'll see that's exactly what I said about us. We found a reason to laugh pretty oh, much every absolutely. day. Because we absolutely. didn't want to cry every day. So we would nope. laugh. And yeah. the boxes would come in. And well, so then he he got a um, Radicava. Mm-hmm. He did the Radicava. And that was amazing. That bought him the two years, I do believe. But that was a whole different, another different animal. We had no clue of what we were ready to embark on. You know, the, the, uh, they did a, not a port, but they did intravenous port, which needed, I, a nurse came, uh, to watch him go through that. So that was 10 days on 10 days off. Um, that was quite a commitment. It, yeah, it really was, but it bought him two years. It it really put it at bay. I think it does work, Radicava, mm-hmm. but it's extremely pricey 
but we were very fortunate. We never paid a dime for it. Yeah, I did. Our insurance yes, paid. Yeah. yeah, see, and it did. This was the latest and the greatest, you know. Right. So, but I'd have to hook them up to an IV. The medicine would go in them and then um, unhook them. And I had to learn how to do that whole thing. The nurse would come the first day, once a month, watch me do it. I don't know. It was protocol, you know, yeah. for the company at the Radicava company. And then um, I, I hooked him, unhooked him, alcohol swabs, the whole bit. We had an IV pole, mm -hmm. you know, in our bedroom. And it looked like a, it was a hospital room. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it converts to that. We were talking it about did. that in previous episodes that, um, yep. We were all, we all became nurses, even though we didn't intend to be, but we could, we became nurses and now we uh, can educate yeah. medical people. We, I, I know we both, we've all done things we never dreamed we would have to do. Ever. I, I looked at the nurse and I said to her, I don't think I can do this. And she says, you can do it. And I said, but one time I'll never forget this. We would go to bars, you know, with our friends and stuff. We'd sit and have a drink and Every time he introduced me, he'd say, this is my nurse. <laughs> and one day I got so livid and we never fought. We never had crosswords. And I looked at him and I go, I am not your nurse. And I had a little word in there. Crossword. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I go, I am not your nurse. Just remember that. I said, I'm your wife. Yeah. And I said, if you think I enjoy this, I don't. And then he never introduced me as his nurse again. Well, good. Ever. He knew I was, I was livid. I had had enough of that nurse business. I said, if I wouldn't have been, if I wanted to be a nurse, I would have gone to nursing school. <laughs> and yeah, I would have been a damn good nurse because I was good at what I did with him. But I hate nursing. I don't want any part of it. I never I wanted hated it either. Caregiving. I hated it. Oh my goodness. Finally, somebody that thinks like oh, me. I hated every minute of it. Now I did it because I, I I loved him, but I, I hated caregiving. And Absolutely. I, I sucked at it some days too. I really sucked at it sometimes. You know, I read I was in the Cal's group and one lady said I love my husband so much it's my privilege to take care of him and I I was reading that going wow I <laughs> do not feel that at all I would pray every night I say please Lord just make this go away you know I I hate this yeah I hated every second of it yeah. Did, did I want to wipe his butt? Did I want to wash him every day? No. No, me either. I, and it's not that I didn't no. love him. But that's not no, what I wanted. No, it has nothing to do with that. But I didn't want to do that. And people don't realize that at some point you get to a point where you have to dig digitally remove poop. Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, that, that is not my thing. <laughs> no. And yeah. I would, you know, then when he became... um. Well, let's see then. Okay. We did the radicava and the eye sewing and the, the jaw. It, it was just so difficult for him to eat. And then I was almost relieved when the doctor said, do you want to increase the tube feeding? I said, yes, but we both agreed 
no tracheotomy, no mm -hmm. further, uh, uh, none of that. I, I said, I'm not doing a trach chuck. And he said, no, no, we, we both agreed in our lives. This was previous mm -hmm. that we would do no life-saving measures if we ever had a disease. And I said, no, no. And, um, oh, what else he, we did the tube, the tube feeding was, that was, to sustain his weight and that mm -hmm. was fine that was the easiest of yeah, all that, that, that wasn't bad mm -mm, that, that was... really was not bad no we actually had I fun with it. we would yeah. pretend i'd go what are we having for dinner today we're having some lobster and steak and exactly. baked potato you know we would pretend and i would give well, I, thought... I put i put vodka in his feeding tube one time i i put different things in his but i can tell you <laughs> I bought, do you know there are lollipops out there that you can buy in every flavor of every kind of food? I bought bacon flavored lollipops, popcorn flavored lollipops. Really? I bought lollipops of every possible flavor and we rotted a couple of his teeth out. Well, hey, but with that. he was able to still taste those foods because we tried the exactly. whole chew and spit thing and that didn't work because yep. it, it made the saliva worse and he choked. So we yeah, no, the choking, no, yeah. no, no, that was Choking's, scary. Oh, it's horrible, and it was every day, and it was, it was just no, yeah. So you, it. so you went through that too, then. Mm. Yep, the choking. We were at a at a bar one time, and he had he was eating, um, he was eating something, but it didn't take much. That after that, I said, "You're not eating anymore at a at the bar," you know, because we'd go and our to our favorite bar, Uccello's, and we'd have a just a beer. I'd thicken his beer at the bar and the bartenders knew that he had you know ALS and everything and and one day he choked in front of everybody and he bent over you know to get it up because he couldn't cough of course mm -hmm, there's no mm -hmm. strength there and he bent over and I said Chuck Chuck are you okay and, you know then he got it up and he went to the bathroom but he was mortified everybody's staring at you you know, yeah. they're just staring and it was just, it was, I said, that's not worth it. You're not going to eat here. We'll just have a drink and go home. You know, right. he just wanted to feel normal, you know? And then, um, let's see after he would go in the basement, we have like a man cave down there, you know? Yeah. So one day he came, he was coming upstairs and he says, I, I can't make it. I'm going to faint. And I said, okay. I said, sit down, just sit down. And so he sat on the steps and then we had to figure out I, his arms were just not working. Mm -hmm. He could he had no strength in his arms. And there was that day that I realized that I said, this man, this is dead weight for me. I could not lift him up. So I said, take your good arm and see if you can push up. So he did get up to the top of our steps and then I couldn't get him. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get him up. I said, well, I'm going to have to call the paramedics or call Kenzie, our daughter-in-law. And she works for, she knows how to, she worked in nursing homes before she knew how to, you know, transfer them and everything. But so he, I felt so bad for him. It, he could not stand up. Mm. And I couldn't get him up and, and he tried with his arm and he fell flat on his face mm. and he broke his glasses. He gouged his nose. Mm -mm -mm. It was like eye opening. It was like, 
okay, we are really in it have entered another phase of this wretched disease Uh so he could never go downstairs again so I got a lift chair for the bedroom I have an extra bedroom up here and Uh then I turned that into his den Uh and I bought a tv for the wall and I made him as comfortable but then that's when we started with the uh positional you know the uh that wheelchair the little wheelchair Uh oh what do they call that you know, you take them to the bathroom and that, oh, you know, I don't remember what the correct word is, but, called, yeah. but anyway, it's not a big wheelchair. It's a small right. one. Right. And that's when I was having to take him to the bathroom then, but he never, ever had an accident in his pants. Mm-hmm. He never, never soiled himself, but I got him to the bathroom every time and then I'd have to wipe him, but mm-hmm. we've never. He was constipated, you know, yeah. like, but I never had some women I've talked to, they had di- explosive diarrhea and all that. I never had that. Thank God, because he was the type of man. He was so pride, full of pride, you know, and how he dressed and looked and he was in a suits his whole life. You know, he was a very proud um man and he Mm -hmm. he one day I had to wipe his butt for the first time I said Chuck just let me do it and I'll never forget he said I am so sorry he said I am so sorry you have to do this I said you know what you do it for me right (laughs) (laughs) and then we both started laughing I go you know you wouldn't do it for me I said you'd probably hire somebody to do it <laughs> I go, you'd whip me in a nursing home, and he would start laughing like crazy. You know? <laughs> and women are, you know, women are amazing when they, you know, have to be. I know that my husband would do it because he had done it. And uh, when our triplets were born and then passed away, um, I was septic with E. coli. That's what killed the triplets as well. And oh. I, I had been in the hospital for a few months, but. Once they discharged me, I my abdominal cavity was actually still open. It was held together by a strapped up adhesive strap that laced up. And oh. the, the doctors uh, at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, actually taught him how to take 36 yards of gauze out of my abdominal oh. cavity uh, every day and how to scrub necrotic tissue out. They taught him how to do that. Oh. And he did it. And uh, he did it once a day. And the second episode, we did this twice a day for months and months. The second time each day, he would drive me because we stayed in a kind of a halfway house situation. He would drive me back down to the medical center. And um, then the uh, the doctors would do the second time. And so this was every day for many, many months. But he did that. He he did that. And he would cry because I would cry. It hurt so bad. It was so horrible. Uh, and he would stand over me looking like a surgeon because he was gloved up, masked up, gowned up. And he was basically, my, uh, my he was basically, had to, yeah, uh, I had to do that. He yeah, never, he you're was lucky. Uh, yeah. He operated on me basically just like a doctor would every day. And he had to give enemas because the, all the pain medicine, you know, causes constipation. And so yeah. I know, I know he would do it because he did it and I did yeah. it for him. But man, I hated every minute of it. No, I, I didn't want. It. I, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to. No, do it. and I would have to 
put him down for his nap and then quick run to the store. And my daughter, thank God she was here because she could always text me and say, Hey, dad's awake or, Mm -hmm. but you know, he, yeah, I, but I did not have the grossest thing I really had to do was his eye and then hit the mucus was yeah the mucus was yeah that was awful the suctioning and I mean he did that himself but I would have to close my eyes and pour the mucus down the sink because I couldn't take it it would that was the only thing and I talked to my girlfriend who is an RN and she Mm -hmm. says you know it's funny you say that she says there are many RNs that they'll do anything in the hospitals and nothing grosses them out. Like they'll have throw up all over them or whatever. Yeah. But she said, there are some things that, that some RNs just can't do like do an IV or, you know, something crazy. Mm-hmm. And she is yours is the mucus. I said, the mucus was the grossest thing. It to really me. was. It was tough for sure. It but was, the mucus was what was dangerous bit. too. It's what uh, nearly killed yeah. him through chokes so many times. But he had Botox injections. I've heard of having that now that they do that now. And it really does help. Really? Yes. And there's nothing to it. They would inject here, you know, on the side of the jaw and like four injections and he would dry up it wow. was, but it almost he almost dried up a little too much mm-hmm. in the beginning but the dry it really helps the mucus we used huge we used atropine drops um they use yeah. that they use that to stop the death rattle when someone's dying too but we had yeah. we, we always had a bottle of atropine drops and I could put those in his mouth to dry up that mucus when he'd have a choke. But the the problem with atropine is it causes extreme constipation also. So, well, we did that at first. We tried the drops first and then um, it didn't, you know, we were using those drops like ridiculous amount of times. Mm -hmm. And then the doctor said, Hey, why don't you try the Botox? We have really good success. And we did it one, he could have them once a month. I think it was once every five weeks. And then towards the end of those five weeks, man, he was ready for Botox and it worked like a dream. It really, I, I, it really did. That's good to know. I have a, yes. a, a friend, her husband is traked and she's his only caregiver. I honestly don't know how she, she's been yep. doing this. She's been taking care of him for eight of the last 10 years by herself. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, children all live off but she's alone and uh, but he has taken radiation treatment some sort of focal radiation treatments that their pulmonologists Mm -hmm. hooked them up with and it's tremendously helped him and I had never heard of that but uh, the Botox that's something new for me to hear about too yep yep it worked like a charm well hopefully if someone's listening that's having that issue then maybe they can um yes I'd recommend it to Uh any, I'd recommend it to anybody. I would. It's, it was very good. And then I said to the doctor, can you put some right here on me? You know, we we laugh. If you have any laugh, let me know. You know, just get rid of some wrinkles while you're at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, He, that was one thing that super worked. It, it, it worked like a charm. I'd recommend that. I'd recommend Radicava too. Okay. So you hated what you were doing, but you loved your husband. I was the same way. Right. So, but you did it. So what, 
what internal thing did you find that helped you get through it? And when you were alone or away from him, did you talk to yourself? Did you get mad? Did you go scream in a pillow? I did. I mean, what did you do to keep yourself going? I don't know. I mean, I just, well, you can't walk away. No. You know, I was talking, yeah, I talked to myself a lot and I'd say, even blending his food, I'd go get, he'd want a Whopper. You can mm-hmm. blend anything, by you the way. Blend I blended yeah, you everything. Yeah. So I blended a Whopper, put ketchup on it. And I used to think, this is so gross. But I yes. let myself think that. You yeah. know, like I didn't want to, I didn't let myself feel guilty for thinking terrible things. Right. I didn't let myself feel guilty that I hated doing all this. Because okay. I did. And people would say, you're just so marvelous. You're so marvelous. Yeah, You're so well, strong. You're it. so strong. Oh, you're so I strong. It. I hated that. But I hated it. Yeah. With all my being. I didn't want to be in this position. And I would talk to God because I'm religious, you know, and I'd say, God, okay. what? why us? What is the deal? But I'm still asking no- why. <laughs> There's no answer. You know, it, it's a mystery. You're just, and Chuck was very religious to the end. And he said, it's my fate. It's my fate. And everybody's going to die of something. And yeah, yeah. it's your yeah. fate. And when it's your time, my mom used to say to me, my mom's 98. Here's a woman, 98, doesn't have a thing wrong with her. And here's my husband that died at 65. Yeah. I mean, I mean what, what is up with that? But anyway, I, I tell people son- I have a lot of questions for the big guy upstairs. I do too. I yeah. do too. But you know, it's earth and whatever he got into, which I believe he wasn't in the military. He's not an NFL player, mm-hmm. but the only thing looking back, uh, he was, he worked at a golf course with it with terrible uh fertilizers fertilizers summers oh my gosh okay so yep i'm gonna interject some of of our story in there we believe Mm -hmm. that my husband's father also died of with als but was misdiagnosed with guillain barre syndrome back in the 80s i think it was i think it was 85 or 86 when he passed away because they switched steroids too quick and he threw an aneurysm that's what actually killed him but he was okay. already they had removed the va had removed a nerve from his foot he had started falling we look back now and we're thinking he had als and i found right. a uh it, i had his uh my husband's mother died a couple of years ago during the pandemic the main part and before that, though, she had allowed me to go through her uh, late husband's medical records to look for anything because, I mean, two sons had it. Then my husband got diagnosed, you know, and right. I was like, I really think that he had it, the husband. Right. So I right. did. I wound up finding an EMG report from the University of Alabama, Birmingham, that said that the tests were uh, indicative of ALS. And I said, that's it. He didn't mm-hmm. have Guillain-Barre. He had right. ALS. And right. so it's familial. Well, we know it's familial. I believe the dad was right. the first to have it. Okay. Yep. Dad was a huge golfer. His whole life played mm-hmm. golf, whole yep. life. And yep. then him and the boys played in all the little league sports. So they were always on sporting fields. Right. And yes, we, we were near. I mean, they all worked at Fort Rucker, the army, ba- yep. the, the army base and 
Yep. Uh, but they were all exposed to a lot of environmental things. The yes. sister that just passed away, uh, she was also very active. I can't recall if she was involved in sports, but she also had a stint of working on the military base. My husband yep. and his twin were both Air Force, National Guard, Air Force Reserves, whatever, for 20 years. Yep. Um, yep. I just think even with this familial something that they can't identify in our family, I still think it has something to do with the environment, the fertilizers, the toxins in Absolutely. our world. I really well, do. My husband worked through it because I knew him since I was 17. Mm-hmm. We, we grew up together and he worked three summers at Cascade Golf Course and it was all the full summer. And I said to him, what did you do different than I did? You know, mm-hmm. of course, now my dad was in the military, but my dad died of a heart attack. But my dad um, used to bring home mercury. We used to play. We used with to mercury. play with that. We played with it in our hands, yeah. the little balls yes. of mercury from the fever thermometer that mom. Yes. And, me- we, and my, my son says, you played with mercury? I go, yeah. Yeah, we, we wrote said, the thermometers on purpose to get the mercury out so we exactly. could play with it. <laughs> my dad brought some home from the army. And I think my brother still has it. But anyway, my I so I'm a hairdresser. This is really interesting. So my cut I have two customers mm-hmm. I did for years. And one customer, her husband died of ALS. Mm-hmm. And another customer, her died husband died of ALS. And I said, you guys should really meet each other. Mm-hmm. Well, <coughs> this customer, uh, she is in a, the nursing home my daughter works for right by my house. But her husband was a policeman. Mm-hmm. But both people, both customers, their husbands were in the Navy. <coughs> the one customer says to me, you're not going to believe it. But the Navy contacted me and they're going to give me money monthly because my husband died of ALS. Wow. And I said, you got to be kidding me. She says, yeah, it has to do with when he was in Texas, he must have been exposed to, you know, whatever they were exposed to. Hmm. They're not saying. Mm -hmm. So she was getting, she's getting like 400 a month from the, from the Navy. Wow. I wish I was getting something like that. Uh, I know. So (laughs) I told my other customer, I said, Hey, you know, you need to check into the government. Because they gave my other customer, they're giving her a pension because her husband died of ALS. Hmm. And so she contacted the Navy. I think her husband was in the Navy or the Army. I think it was Navy. And she contacted, we had to fight for that one. And I said, I I knew a guy who fought for her. He wrote letters to the senator and blah, blah, blah. She -hmm. got her pension. She (laughs) got a pension. Because, and she says, thank you for pursuing this because she was living paycheck, you know, social security mm-hmm. and she got more than the first lady did. Wow. I, so I, it definitely is environmental also. I mean, there is that genetic component, but my husband, what did he get into? Mm-hmm. I mean, sporadic bull bar said. Hmm. Yeah. And his started, I've never heard the numbness in a head before yep. or the jaw coming right out or the, right the eyes. Right I, crazy. Yep. It was gross. It was so gross. He, his jaw was like that all the time. Wow. Oh Just completely down. 
and he'd have to hold it or hold it up all the time. And it was, I said, do you want a jaw strap? You know, and then he had a big sore on his nose from the trilogy. He looked like a wreck. He, his face, mm. all this part just looked, he looked like a mess. He was a mess. So how long, how long did he live after both eyes had been sewed together? No, just one eye. One eye, okay. One eye was sewn shut. I think they did that in July and he had died in a September. He was already, well, and, and this is another thing too. Like I, I had, couldn't do it anymore. I, I told my daughter, I, I thought he was going to die at home, Yeah. but I, I told, you know, I would say to him, I will do this as long as I can do it. Mm -hmm. I, I can't promise you what I'll do tomorrow, but I will try, right. my, you know, and he would just shake his head. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, he never, uh, which I was very fortunate that we always trusted each other to do the best. Of course, you know, you're not, you're not gonna let anything happen to him. Right. And, um, but this hospice nurse, so he went on hospice mm -hmm. and we signed the papers and everything. And they started delivering the morphine and I was morphining him. And then the hospice nurse one day came and I, I got mad at her because she <laughs> was not, she was saying in front of him, she says, so your intention is to have him die here at home. And no, that wasn't my intention. My intention was the second we got to a Hoyer lift, mm -hmm. I'm done. I'm I'm done. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing the Hoyer. I'm not doing the t bedside commode. I, I, I've reached my limit. Mm -hmm. And the second that would have happened, I, I think, no, I can't do it anymore. I mean, I know a lot of people do do it, mm -hmm. but I was not one of those people that was willing to go the full. I just couldn't, I, I couldn't. And, and I understand so that if she led me, I had, I couldn't say, I said, well, we will see, mm -hmm. but she kept, you know, and then she was ticking me off because, and then her supervisor had called me the next day. How did the visit go with my nurse? I said, I have something to tell you. You need to tell your hospice people that you don't assume that, and you don't say in front of the dying person yeah, your wife is going to go right to the end with you. You know, you know, you don't make those promises. Mm -hmm. And I never made those promises to him. I said, Chuck, I will do my very best and I'll do what I can. What I am capable emotionally of mm -hmm. and physically, physically, right. you know, and then that, that last day he was here and he had gotten thrush in his mouth. Oh, wow. It was the grossest thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. I called hospice. They came and she goes, oh, he has thrush. Well, it smells got, too. It was disgusting. Mm -hmm. It was uh, to this day. I can remember the smell. Mm -hmm. And my daughter laughs at me. She goes, mom, I don't know what you were smelling. I said, are you kidding me? It was like a dying. It was like rot. Yep out of the mouth. But I think what happened was his, 
he was dying mm -hmm. and his bacteria was all messed up. Oh, it was colonizing. He was everywhere. Ex exactly. And so they, the, this hospice, they said it could be a fungus. Mm -hmm. So they made me put a fungal thing in his feeding tube. It didn't do squat. Meantime, this stuff is spreading like none other. And he kept saying, so I was swabbing his mouth with the sponge because he was so thirsty mm -hmm. and I would wipe his, I couldn't even, he was bleeding inside his mouth. I couldn't even brush his teeth anymore. Oh, wow. It was black. I was pulling black chunks out of his mouth with paper towels, wet paper towels. I said, oh my God, Chuck, this is what is happening here. Mm -hmm. So when I, one day I was exhausted. I was up. He had to go to the bathroom and he had a, a bell, mm -hmm. a desk bell. And I have PTSD every time I hear a desk bell. Mm -hmm. Isn't that funny? I was at a department store and someone rang that bell and it just sent me into a, a whole different world. I was just like, wow. Yeah, we had a wireless doorbell and I don't like doorbell sounds. Isn't that funny? Uh, yeah, just the, the little bing, bing, bing. And that's mm -hmm. all to do to get my attention in the room, you know? Yeah. But. I had a monitor on him too. I had a baby monitor in mm. our room and then I slept in the guest room. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, I, one day I was up during the night at two to get him to bathroom. And it was, I'd have to morphine him because he was even to get him out of bed. He would start gasping for air. Yeah. The morphine would settle him down. So I'd morphine him, take him to the bathroom he'd pee and then I'd get him back in the chair. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'd have that syringe with me all the time. I'd have one in the bathroom, one in the bed by the bed because he would gasp for air. Just, mm -hmm. you, know, <laughs> you know, he was starving. He was, he was starving for air. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would quick more quick shoot him up and then he'd relax and then I'd get him back in bed. And that happened all the time. Mm -hmm. And I say to the hospice nurse, how many times can I give him work? And she says, as much as he needs. Mm -hmm. That's the one good thing about having hospice too. Um, we actually had hospice for seven years. Um, wow. Yeah. They, they got hooked up with us right off and they did try to dismiss him a couple of times and actually did one time and I pitched a fit. <laughs> I'm like, so you're, so, so you're telling me that my husband who has terminal ALS is getting better. So you can't service right. it anymore. So you come and explain to me, well, it's not that he's getting better. He's not progressing. I'm like, okay, well you come and let's do an assessment together. And let's talk about what's changed since yesterday. Right. And, I mean, I was his advocate till the very end. And I, I, it, I always got them back because I couldn't have made it for the three and a half years. He stayed at home. I couldn't have made it without them. And nope. then even when I moved him to a nursing home, um, which was actually a really great facility and he had actually a really good three years there. He was happy on, honestly, wow. but hospice even stuck with us there. They sent their people there every day to do his bath. So he didn't right. have to right. be taken care of by someone he didn't know. Right. And, um, they, they did let us down at the very end. And that said my in episode three, where I told my story, but, um, 
I totally get everything you're saying. And of course, my Bill couldn't walk anymore. He stopped walking in under two years. He stopped talking in under two years. He got a feed. He got a feeding tube at the three and a half year mark. So, uh, yeah, but I I get it. Hospice, they were very good. You know, I didn't have to worry about the meds anymore. I mean, it, it took a lot of pressure off me. Oh yeah. But like, he still wanted me to bathe him and everything. Well, then the one nurse said, she came and she says, so how are you doing, Janet? Do you, do you need help with Chuck? And I, and then he shook his head. No, (laughs) that little shit. And I said, uh, yeah, (laughs) what are you going to offer me? And she says, well, we can have a girl come twice a week to, to help him get dressed and bathed and everything. And I go, yeah, he shook his head. No again. And I said, yep, we're going to do this. And he was kind of mad at me, you know, because he only, he was very prideful. Like I said, mm-hmm. we didn't want anybody seeing his private parts, but whatever. And I said, so she came the next day. It was heaven. She says, ma'am, she said, Jana, you go in the living room. You have yourself a cup of coffee because me and Chuck are going to get to know each other and I'm going to wash him up. And I went, oh, you're <laughs> kidding. And she, she shooed me away. Well, like he pointed to me, like he wanted me in the bathroom with her. I said, nope. <laughs> and I did. I looked at him and I go, see ya. And she was so marvelous. He was pink. When he came out of that bathroom, he looked great. She gave him a massage. Uh-huh. Oh God. It was heaven. Yes. And it I was said, heaven for him oh, and you too. Yep. Yeah. Mine fought it too in the beginning, but he really started because he got a much more thorough bath or shower right, with someone else. And it gave me a chance to catch my breath. And I was a nicer person afterwards. I would go to the bookstore, pet store. I'd run anything just to get out of that house just for an hour, you know? Yep. And she told me, she says, you go. I almost didn't know what to do with myself. I sat in the living room. I'm like, wow, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but then it was maybe, so that was Labor Day weekend. And (laughs) that night he, um, I was taken to the bathroom. It was an exhausting night. I don't know. I think he was up twice. (laughs) Those days are, were bad because I mean, if I didn't get sleep, you know, I was just dragging butt. So I try to sleep when he'd nap. but anyway he uh, my daughter-in-law told me she goes if he he goes to fall you let him fall if you fall with him you will hurt yourself yep Yep. and I go geez I don't know if I can do that well I took him to the bathroom the, the that was in the early morning I took him to the bathroom and he almost fell just getting up I had one of those toilet, um, you know, handles uh-huh. on your toilet yeah. and he could, he could pry himself up on that and say, so he peed and then, um, he sat down and when he stood up, he almost fell. And I, I, I cussed, I just said, Oh my God, Chuck. I said, are you kidding me? I, I was losing it. You know, mm-hmm. I was just losing it. And he, I, I realized it wasn't his fault, you know, but I just needed to cuss out loud. I just needed to 
say it, you know? And then, and then he, um, we did, I took him to the bathroom again, like an hour later. And then I realized he wasn't supporting his weight. anyway. he was like, not even able to do much. Mm-hmm. And he almost fell again. And then I looked at him and I said, I got him in the wheelchair and I went, took him to the bedroom and I looked straight at him. I said, I can't do this anymore. I said, I'm calling hospice. I need to get you in hospice. I said, you're going to fall and we're both going to get hurt. And I, you know, I just said, I'm done. I can't do this. And he, he was gracious Mm -hmm. and he says, Okay. He go he shook his head yes. And by the grace of God, hospice had a room for him. Someone had just died and it was Faith Hospice in Grand Rapids and they're very, very good, you know, they're religious and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh it was pricey because it's private pay. But I said, you know what, I don't care. I, I'm just I'm gonna do it. And I knew he didn't have long. I, I could see with the thrush and it was just, everything was such a mess and they came and got him within two hours. Wow. Yeah. And they got transportation and they, those people were so wonderful and they took him right in the wheelchair, right out to the ambulance, you know, and um, he waved goodbye to my living room. Oh. And Teresa was from my daughter. She was balling, you know, and it was, <laughs> I didn't want it to go down like that, mm-hmm. but I couldn't do it anymore. I understand. I, I couldn't, I just could not. I said to myself, I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to get hurt. I have a daughter to take care of, you know, it's time. It's just time. Yeah. And yeah. I know a lot of people like, you know, caregivers, they're like, we want them to die at home and everything. But I just, you know, I think it's okay not to want that. It is okay. And I wanted people to understand that, that don't feel guilty if you can't do it because I couldn't. Thank you for saying that. I felt the same way. I mean, uh, a a lot of people question our decision for the nursing home. Right. Um, but honestly, my health was going downhill. Yeah. I wound up in an ER and they thought I yeah. had a, a, a tiny uh, aneurysm. They couldn't find it on the CT, but my symptoms all went toward that. Yep. And my regular doctor was like, this disease is going to kill you. And yeah. Yeah. Bill, Bill, with what little bit of slurred speech he could make it out to say to me was, I don't want this to kill both of us. I'm ready to go. Right. And so hospice started helping us try to find a facility that he could go in. And um, that's how we got, and it was hard. Oh, it was hard, but it was the best decision. We got a a great, it is hard, but we had a great facility. Uh, I'm still in, I'm still in contact with most of those CNAs, those nursing assistants and nurses. And, uh, you know, they took great care of my husband. Yeah, there was problems. It wasn't perfect, but they did a good job. They listened to me when I tried to teach them things. And uh, I mean, Bill was a full bodied care. He, he had not walked in a long time. He couldn't walk. He couldn't turn over. He couldn't really do anything. He had heart, 
part of one arm and his thumb pretty much. And I couldn't hold his head up or any of that, but um, they were just really good. And so it was the right decision for us. It's not the right decision for everybody, but like your, your decision was what was right for you. Our decision was what was right for us. And honestly, I'm grateful that he didn't die in my house. Now I live in a completely different place. He's never been where I'm at now, but I think I would have had a harder time moving on. It took, it's taken me five years to this point to get where I can talk about it. But um, I don't know that I would have been able to pick up the pieces and move on as quickly as I did within that two year time. Had I been in this, in in the house where he died, where I was surrounded by memories that I don't want to remember. I can remember them now. I can talk about them, but I do it more in a clinical way and in more of a, more of a way to help someone else who's going through it i just mostly want listeners who are going through this and or maybe are going they're going through the grieving part i just want them to know that if they just hang on they're still going to be okay you know right well and i said to my daughter it was funny when i took him there i took all his food with me i took you know his trilogy i had to take with me The hospice really didn't know how to do the trilogy. I was a little nervous about that. It was like leaving my baby. I felt like it was the first day of kindergarten leaving my kid. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, I hope they know what they're doing. Then I kept thinking they're RNs, you know, they're, they know what they're doing. This isn't their first trip with ALS or whatever, but I did have to show them how do you do the trilogy and everything. But when I got them there, and of course, it was COVID time, so mm-hmm. we could only have two visitors, three, including me, but it was never to change. And my son just could not handle it. He could not handle the whole ALS thing. He put his head in the sand, t- texted him a lot and stuff, but he, he was like a wreck. My mm-hmm. son was no help, but my daughter was fabulous. She, she got it, you know, but she lives here, you know, she lived here and, but she was in the thick of it, but she told me, but my daughter did say she was glad he didn't die here. She said, I I thank God he didn't die in this house, mom. And I said, well, I never wanted him to die here, but I was kind of like afraid to say it. I mean, and I don't, that was stupid. I mean, I just kept saying to hospice, I'll see how far I can go with this. Mm-hmm. And I think you've got, if that would be my biggest, um, and, and I'm lucky we had the money to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people that can't. Right. And, but what ended up happening, he died. He didn't even last two days at hospice. Hmm. So yeah. after you moved him there, he basically went really quickly. He went very quickly. In fact, I moved him there on a Monday at like 11 o'clock mm-hmm. and he died Wednesday morning at wow. 6 p.m. Were you there when he passed away? Yeah. And they caught, it was weird because um, I spent the whole next day with him and then I said, Tuesday night, I was so exhausted. I I couldn't wait to go home and go to bed. Mm -hmm. I just, I was like, finally, I can get a breath, you know? Right. And I remember telling him, I said, I will be back early in the morning because I want to talk to the doctor. 
Mm-hmm. So I knew I'd have to be there by six in the morning. Right. So I went home and I, I think I left about eight or nine o'clock that night. And I said, I'll be back really early, early tomorrow morning, Chuck. He wanted me to sleep there. Mm-hmm. And I, I just needed sleep. I wanted to go home and just be in my bed. And I, it's, it sounds terribly selfish, but mm. I allowed myself to just be selfish that one time. And that's okay too. And it was, but in a, in a way I, sometimes I think, Oh, I should have been there. I should have just spent the night and, but it is, it's done. And it, it's neither here nor there. He was dying. And, but I was there. I remember I came home and the nurse called me about 5. AM. It was pouring rain. It was cold. It was just a nasty night. She says, please be careful driving here. It was dark Mm -hmm. and the rain was just pouring. And I just said, God, get me there. You know, and it was like, it's like a 35 minute drive from my house. Mm-hmm. So um, I said to her, is he gone? And she said, nope, I st- we still have a heartbeat. And um, it was very faint. Mm-hmm. But she said, what ended up happening? He had to go to the bathroom and he basically had heart failure on the toilet. You know, that he happens. and he slumped. He slumped. It was his diaphragm, you know, mm-hmm. and he slumped over and they put him in bed and they called me right away. Mm-hmm. So he had his trilogy on, but hospice, when I first got him there, they saw that thrush mm-hmm. and the lady, the nurse goes, Oh my God. She says, this is the worst I've ever seen. It was going down his throat. Mm-hmm. They were pulling and she goes, I know what we're going to do. They took mineral oil and they lined, they coated his whole inside of his mouth with mineral oil. Hmm. And they pulled out chunks like inches wide hmm. of his mouth. Wow. And it was disgusting. And she says, I want to show you something. She took her flashlight in his mouth and it was just solid black. It was like his whole inside of his mouth was rotted. Yes. Yeah, what exactly what was doing. And the um, rest of going down his esophagus probably the very same way his body was it was oh, it was dead or dying yeah for sure it was just the most I, I almost vomited i just said oh my and she goes this poor man i go well they told us it was probably you know fungus and well he wouldn't have been able i couldn't have handled that here Mm-mm, no and she was pulling chunks so the next day i was there they would start working on him again at the inside of his mouth. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he was dying. That's yeah. what was happening. And, but I held his hand. I got to be with him. And then the nurse says, do you want me to take his mask off? And I said, no, because I don't want to see his jaw, mm-hmm. you know, just flopped open. Mm-hmm. And the smell was beyond, I could smell the thrush through my mask of course you could it was just awful that rotting smell did he ever wake up again for you or no nope nope and as I was a little bit open you know I remember and I just remember saying you know you go you just get out of this body mm-hmm. and I was so happy for him I really was it, it he had had enough that's what I did for my husband as well. I said, it's okay to go, baby. Stop. You can let go. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. God, who yeah. wants that body? After everything they've been through, 
Yeah. You know, just go, go be happy. I I, really, I would never want him back like that ever, ever, ever. Uh -uh. I get that. I get that. No, no. So that's, that's what happened. He didn't last barely two days at hospice. And how did your, how did your children do? How old were they when that happened? And how Um, did they do? Well, my daughter, my son was 31 and he didn't, do well. I mean, the funeral was beautiful. He had the most gorgeous, gorgeous score. I was jealous of his funeral. <laughs> he had the most. He had musicians that were exquisite. I I looked at him. I go, you know, I'm really jealous because my funeral is not going to be like this. <laughs> but I planned. I wrote the eulogy um, when he was still alive. I couldn't sleep one night, and I wrote his eulogy, and I love it. I I meant every bit of it, and I the priest read it to everybody and um i wrote my eulogy too well good for you well we're yeah. going to end on this and i'm going to invite all of our listeners to come back in two weeks and hear uh janet's episode two and she will tell us a little bit more about the ending and what she's done since that time in 2020 when chuck uh, crossed over to a better life outside of an ALS body. So Janet, thank you for coming today and we'll talk again in two weeks. Okay. Thanks for everyone for listening. See you next time.